Good morning. I know that people will will likely, you know, dribble in over the next little bit here, and and uh, so it's good to have you all here. We, uh, we first snowstorm of the year, you never really know. So with us today is Troy Gardner. Troy is uh, the regional representative for church church engagement. Wow. Uh, so, so uh, anyway, uh, I've I've known Troy for a few years now, and and uh, we we share some experiential things, and and so it's been a it's been a great journey uh, to to be able to just speak with him, and I have a I have a, a soft spot in my heart for for Samaritan's Purse. I love what they do, and uh, so anyway, he's here today. He'll be preaching in the main service, so you you want to. Uh, be geared up for that. He, how many years did you pastor, brother? Twenty-eight years uh, in in uh, lead pastoring or in in pulpit ministry. So so anyway, uh, if you would please just give a little hand clap for Troy, and he'll come and share. Thank you. All right. Well, um, first of all, thanks for uh, thanks for making it out. Um, we were just talking about, I didn't know what the snow would do. I was like, I'm in Colorado, so I don't know how everybody's going to handle snow here. Um, it's kind of exciting for me. I live in Southern California in Anaheim Hills. Um, and so, um, wind is about as exciting as it gets for us. So that's kind of it. So I was like, I came out this morning, I was at my hotel and I was like, wow, I get to use an ice scraper. It's like the first time in five years I've done that. So most people are like, oh, I have to use an ice scraper. I was kind of excited anyway. So, um, little different for me um, and, uh, and lots of fun uh, to just uh, uh, to be here with you. So uh, I thought it would be really cool to just kind of share um, kind of some updates and then even just take questions because you guys may have questions through different uh, things that I talk about. Uh, but before I do that, can we just pray together real fast? Is that okay? God, I just thank you, Lord, uh, that you've uh, brought us here. Uh, we know some people will just kind of flow in as we're going, uh, weather and that sort of thing. Keep everyone safe. Uh, you've got appointments with them that you want them here, and uh, you're calling them here because you've got something you want uh, for them today. And Lord, I thank you for all of us who are here, uh, that you will just uh, speak to us, speak to me, Lord, teach me, grow me out of this time. And uh, you just bless this time, Lord. Uh, we want it to be powerful because it's got you involved in it. It's in your son's name we ask for this. Amen. Uh, so uh, let me just uh, real briefly, I'll just talk about Samaritan's Purse because a lot of people, um, they, when I meet people and I tell them I work for Samaritan's Purse, the response that I typically get is, aren't you the shoebox people? That's like the first thing that everybody says to me. And I'm like, yes, we are the shoebox people, but we do so much more than that. And I want to make it clear that a lot of people get confused. They think we are simply an international relief organization. And that is not what we are. We are an evangelistic organization. We simply use the tool of responding with international relief, responding when people face chaos or they face change or calamity or something that's terrible in their life. We respond during those times because we know that they're more open to spiritual conversation when those times are hap happening. And so as we serve them, we have a chance to tell them about Jesus. What you're seeing here on the screen is uh, something I just thought I would, uh, I did a little quick cut and paste to put this in. This is an internal thing that uh, is shared uh, among our staff. Uh, we get usually uh, about every month we get a report like this and it kind of shows some things that are happening uh, currently or maybe you can see one there, Pasco County, Florida. It, 
just closed. That was a result uh, of a hurricane there. And what happens is, is we see, uh, you, you can see kind of the columns there, the number of volunteers, the hours, the families assisted. But then what we always do is that the final result, we want to say, okay, what does all of this add up to? Did we achieve our goals here? Not our, our goals are not in those how many families that we assist and how many volunteer hours and that sort of thing. Our goals are, did people hear about Jesus? And so you could see there, uh, it's kind of, I mean, to me, it gets exciting. I look at that and I'm like, okay, 111 more people, if you take the bottom right corner, 111 more people have heard about Jesus, have made, well, more than that, have heard about him, but 111 people made decisions to follow Jesus out of those responses and what are happening. You know, you, uh, you look at Maui there specifically, 133 hours and, or people and all the hours and all those sort of things. But the fact that there have been 33 people that have made decisions to follow Jesus. Now, this is even a couple weeks old. I know that that actually has recently really ramped up because we've only been able to get into Lahaina for a little while. But I wanted to be sure to share with you guys from the beginning, before I talk about any of our responses, and I'm going to talk about some of our specific things that we're doing. Um, but uh, I want to make sure to share that we are evangelistic. That is what we're all about. We want people to hear about Jesus. So every time we do something, it's, we tell people we're doing this in the name of Jesus. It's in Jesus' name. That's why we serve and why we do the things that we do. So there are a lot of things happening. Before we get to anything that I have any photos of, I don't have any photos of the first subject I want to talk about. A lot of people want to know about what's happening in Israel. What are we doing and how are we involved in Israel? Right now, I don't have great photos, don't have great video because it literally is in the middle of wartime currently. Um, I would assume that even as I'm talking right now, there is something that is happening there. Uh, it is that fresh and that new. However, we are already there and already serving uh, in that region. Uh, we Previously, one of the nice things is we've built a lot of relationships uh, in different parts of the world over time. And so we previously already had some relationships that were going in Israel. We also have had relationships in various Palestinian areas. And so because we have these relationships with churches, with ministries that are already operating there, it makes it easier for us to function. So we have already sent what's called DART, which stands for Disaster Assistance Response Team. We sent a Disaster Assistance Response Team to Israel uh, with then, gosh, it was just a few days. I don't even think it was a full week by the time the decision was made to go ahead and send that team. That initial team comes in and they begin to work with those local churches, those local ministries that we already have a relationship with. They also have a section of the team that will begin to work with local government as well as uh, maybe it's state, county, or even national governments. More often the national government work is done from our headquarters, but sometimes it's with that team that's there in country. And we begin asking, hey, what are the needs? What can we do? What would you like for us to do? Because we don't ever just show up full force with everything that we have without having the permission and the invitation from a local government. Uh, we, we're not going to just show up and you know, barge our way in and say, here we are, deal with it. That's just too bad. That's, we don't think that that's a, a good witness. That's not a good way to start. When we're an evangelistic organization, we want people to hear about Jesus. We need to enter you know, with humility and say, we'd like to serve. And so we've already uh, entered uh, Israel and we're already uh, working, like I said, through those churches. We're doing things we haven't, uh, we haven't launched our medical yet um, just because uh, there hasn't been, a, it just hasn't really been, as far as like the local government saying, yeah, we want you and here's what we want you and here's what we need. That hasn't all been 
specified and cleared and set up yet. My anticipation is that that will be our long-term thing, is that we will be having a medical response similar to what we did in Ukraine, which I'll talk about in just a couple of minutes. Um, we'll have our emergency field hospital. We'll probably have clinics. We'll do various things like that um, in the response there in Israel. Um, my assumption would be we will push as cl absolutely close to Gaza as we can safely get so that we can serve people uh, no matter what side of war they are on. Uh, that is one of the things for us. Um, we don't pick a side. We stay out of all the political. Our whole goal is anyone and everyone is taken care of. We relieve suffering for anyone because we want to tell everyone about Jesus, no matter where they are uh, on the political spectrum. And so um, my guess would be that that will be more of our long-term response. So our current response though in Israel is working through those partners uh, we're offering uh, several things like hygiene kits, cooking kits, um, various supplies for people whose homes uh, may have been damaged uh, in, in the attack, in, in the bombings, in, or in the, in the missiles, I should say, um, in, in uh, everything that took place on October 7th, and stuff that's occurred ever since then. There's, there's still constantly missiles being fired and that type of thing that's going on. Uh, still a, a lot of problems in the region, and so we're, so we're providing those types of things. Our most popular item that we provide are um, there are little things called puck lights. They look like a little hockey puck. Um, and they pull up uh, and pull open. The top of them is solar, and so they can set them outside all day, and then they bring them in in the evening, and they'll put off enough light to light an entire large room in a home, and they have four plugs all around the bottom so they can charge four phones as well on that. And so that is our most popular thing by far not only there, globally. Everywhere we go now, those are, those are in very high demand because everyone communicates with cell phones now. And how do you charge that when electricity is out? And so uh, that's one of the big things we're doing. We're handing those out. We're handing, like I said, the hygiene kits, the cooking kits, all of those things that are needed so people can have survival uh, and can be able to uh, make it through. This is kind of a bridge time to where we'll have a longer term response that we're going to be able to offer. So uh, that's kind of what's happening currently in Israel as we continue to just take supplies, take supplies, take supplies. And those are, uh, those are just constantly being exhausted. We're using them up, using them up, resupplying, resupplying. Um, and that's just kind of how we, we see this going for a while. When we will be able to have a medical response, I'm not sure. I know that it has already officially been offered at the highest levels. Um, actually, there are people in uh, Netanyahu's office who communicate with people in our headquarters uh, back and forth. And I know there has already been communication between them, letting them know that as soon as they're okay with it, we'll arrive with a hospital and we will set up and run an emergency field hospital there for them. Again, I believe it will be similar to past responses in Ukraine. We started off a little further away and we pushed closer and closer to uh, the fighting. You go all the way back to uh, when we responded in Iraq, uh, we set up a hospital in Mosul. And uh, that would be probably most similar to what we're seeing right now. When we were asked to do that, we said, yes, we will. There were two stipulations. One had to do with security uh, that was going to be set up, and they built an incredibly secure facility for us to be able to set that hospital up. The second was, you have to let us treat anyone. And that goes back to what I said a minute ago about we treat anyone and everyone so that everyone can hear about Jesus. And uh, we actually there, we had two hospitals distinctly is in one location you came in and you had to go to the left or right if you went to the left that was the civilian hospital if you went to the right that was the isis hospital and so we actually treated isis fighters and they would ask why on earth would you do this and we tell them because of jesus 
who is Jesus, and we would tell them all about God's Son. Uh, and so I would anticipate we'll see something very similar uh, in our response in Israel. So that's kind of a quick update on what's happening there. Let me talk a little bit about Maui. Um, uh, I think we've got a few pictures we can just kind of roll through over time. Uh, Maui is... Um, Obviously, this is a wildfire. Uh, took place month, several months ago. Uh, initially, the government just shut down any access to large portions of Lahaina and the surrounding community. As a matter of fact, they even shut down access to the island itself. They wouldn't allow anyone to fly in any type of supplies. They weren't letting any organizations uh, bring a flight in with, with resources and supplies. They said, no, we want you to fly it to uh, the island of Oahu, and it needs to be barged over. Um, I think they were afraid of being just inundated with too much stuff. However, we have earned um, over time such a great reputation with several state entities that we were one of two that were allowed to fly in our cargo plane. And so we had a chance to fly in our cargo plane. Um, uh, matter of fact, our, we had loaded the plane and made plans and didn't even actually have permission. A lot of people were praying really hard. And it was the morning that we took off that we got the permission to go ahead and land there. They were kind of like, well, we might even take off and not know where we're landing uh, at this moment. We just know we're going to Hawaii and we'll divert to which island when we get close uh, based on what they say. But they did allow us to do that. So uh, we took over the initial run, I believe it was 17 tons of cargo and a lot of the same types of things, tarps, uh, the, the lights, the puck lights, cooking kits, hygiene kits. Um, we began taking food supplies. We began taking water supplies. We began taking everything that we possibly could to get onto the island. You can just see kind of all the stuff that we do here. This is a picture. You've got two guys here that are sifting through uh, ash, and so they have to wear the Tyvek suits, and they have to wear uh, specific types of breathers just for safety to make sure. The guy on the right there, he actually would not be allowed into the Lahaina region with just wearing uh, regular uh, N95 mask. You now have to wear what the gentleman on the left there is wearing, that breather that's a little more, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, Efficient would maybe be the right word there. This story, right, this uh, picture right here, I put that in there because uh, one of the things that happened was, let me just back up. We couldn't get into Lahaina, but there were several areas that we could serve. Initially, we had a little over 560 requests from homeowners for help. The majority of those were in Lahaina. However, there were 49 that were outside of that area that we could help. And so we did have access to those. And so the, immediately that was where we got in. That's what the picture of those gentlemen where they were sifting through ash. And what we do when we show up when there's been a wildfire is uh, half the team will begin clearing the lot and the other half begins sifting through the ash that is their home. Uh, and we'll start in one corner and it's very methodical. We work our way, you know, kind of a, a grid and we work our way through scoops of, it's exactly what you think, you know, uh, shovel, scoops of ash. We have these uh, sifters that are made with a kind of like a, chicken wire type of great stuff and we, we shake our way through anything we think might be valuable we set it off to one side if we think it's not really valuable we're not sure we set it off to the other side and so we were doing this and sifting through and what you see right here is there was a young couple that had only recently been married and a wedding ring had been taken off and set aside while they were doing some other work and they were cleaning up and things like that and they didn't want to damage it and they didn't want to you know whatever it was the reason that they had set that aside and the wildfire blew through. And this is a newlywed. And they were very, very upset. That was like one thing that was really bothering them. They're, you know, the, the ring, we, we, we don't know where the wedding ring is. And there was one afternoon that our team was sifting through 
and managed to find the wedding ring. And people got so excited. It was kind of a really big deal on the island. I guess the news came out and they were like videoing this person holding a ring. And they're like, really? Just holding a ring? But it was on the news, someone holding a ring, you know, uh, kind of thing. And that photo that you see right there kind of made it all the way around all over Hawaii. And, you know, the whole idea of Samaritan's Purse came and helped someone find a wedding ring. They were newlyweds. They'd been married less than a month. And so it was kind of a big deal. As you can see, it's kind of, for a month-old ring, it's not looking like it's in great shape, but it went through a wildfire. So, you know, um, it, it was fairly fairly damaged. But um, anyway, but now um, what's happened is they were able to, uh, the, as we were waiting, we finished up the... Uh, we finished up the 40 plus homes that we were able to help that were not in Lahaina. And then we didn't have access yet to Lahaina. And one of our concerns was volunteers who were coming, how are we going to be able to house them? What are we going to be able to do? There aren't a lot of large churches on the islands. Most of the churches are fairly open air. Uh, they just have smaller meeting spaces because they can be because it's always 82 degrees and a nice gentle breeze and sun shining. So they just kind of just kind of how they operate. So they don't have places they can house people, which that's one of the areas we turn to. Hotels aren't going to work because there's so few hotels and a lot of the governmental agencies are using those. So all hotels that are available are like $1,000 a night. And we're like, well, we can't do that. That's just not going to work. So what we ended up doing was we did find a church that had some land and they let us use part, part of their land and we built a large tent city. Uh, we built almost like a giant deck, like a wood deck uh, for people to be able to get around because just the way the the, that particular ground was, it wasn't going to work for them just to be out on the ground. So we built this huge area and we set up tents for all our volunteers to come and serve. And we managed to complete that right before they opened up uh, Lahaina and allowed us to get in there. We're now operating in Lahaina and serving families there. We're up to roughly a thousand homeowners that have asked us for help. Um, and so we're just working our way through, working our way through. So if you don't like the snow and you want to go volunteer somewhere, Maui, there you go. <laughs> you just got to get there and you can serve with us. Uh, you can sign up right on our website. So um, that's one that I'm like, I don't know why we would ever have a hard time finding enough volunteers uh, who say they want to go. So what you're seeing here is uh, this gentleman uh, under his left arm, you can see a Bible there kind of just barely in the photo. One of the things that we do uh, is whenever we serve a homeowner, anyone who works on the home, they will sign. In, in, we have these Bibles that in the back of the Bible, we had extra pages put in so you could sign a, and write a little note to the family. Um, and they always want you to put uh, underneath your name, they want you to put where you're from because they think it can be real meaningful for a family to look at that later and go, wow, all these people came and served me. And that is then presented to the family. And this is when that had been presented to this gentleman. These are uh, people that had been working. You've seen the thankfulness. He's given them a hug because he's, he's thankful uh, for the fact that they served. Um, if you ever get to go on uh, disaster response with us, uh, the code is if you're working, one of the staff will come around and say, have you completed your paperwork? And that's code for, did you go sign the Bible? <laughs> so that that gets to the person. That's a way that we try to do it because we want it to kind of be a surprise fun thing at the end um, of, uh, of serving these families. So I know that we have, uh, at this point, we have uh, been able to help close to 100 families already in Maui, um, and there are hundreds and hundreds more. Uh, we'll continue to serve there. Other, uh, do you have any questions on Maui before I, uh, I kind of jump in uh, and we talk about our next response? Anybody good? Everybody good? Awesome. Okay. 
Ukraine. Uh, let me talk about that for a little while. That's been going on for about a year and a half. Uh, in Ukraine, we are still the largest food provider. Um, this is uh, just a glimpse that looks like chaos. I, I realize that, but you got a bunch of water there. You got other other supplies that are kind of back behind. Uh, we are still the largest food provider in all of Ukraine. We're actually lo- even larger than the government, which is amazing to me. Um, what we're able to provide. As a matter of fact, the government was struggling in how they were providing food. They weren't doing a good job of getting it out to the people that were in need. And someone said, did you know that Samaritan's Purse is doing a really jo- good job and described what we were doing? And the government called our headquarters, uh, someone with uh, USAID called our headquarters and said, is there any chance that you guys could begin doing the distribution of the food that we are going to bring to Ukraine? And they said, well, yeah, we probably could figure out a way to do that. Um, And what they loved was the fact that we took it out of the idea of large entities or out of the high level distribution, and we pushed it all the way down to communities. The way that we did that was we have leased out several uh, large like warehouse type spaces in a lot of different cities throughout the Ukraine. We keep moving those, uh, keeping those where they need to be based on the need, based on the fighting, based on what's going on. And we've kept those uh, positioned forward. And the pastors are the ones who know what's happening in your community. Perfect example would be like if something were happening right here, me coming from Samaritan's Purse, I don't know who has need and who doesn't have need. But if you ask Glenn, Glenn's going to know what's going on in the community. And so what we do is we set up at a central location. We say to the pastors, hey, come to us and we'll supply you. And we do a few things. Number one, we fill up their vehicle with fuel when they arrive because fuel is a tough access there. We then supply them with all the stuff that they need to be able to to give out, whether that's food, water, uh, clothing, uh, hygiene, uh, cooking kits, uh, tarps, whatever it might be that they need. Um, And uh, a lot of them, it is things like tarps and repair to their homes because they're trying to stay in their community and stay in their homes and they've been damaged. So we're supplying all those things. We're filling whatever vehicle the pastor has with those things. And then we're giving them some money so they can buy some more fuel when they find it along the way. And we know that in about 10 days, they're probably going to be back again and they're going to reload and we're going to send them off again. And we just kept doing that. We just continue to do that over and over and over again. We ran into a problem though. Russians figured out what we were doing, and so they started taking uh, shots at pastors, trying to shoot them while they were doing distributions. And uh, we had to bring a few of them to our medical facilities, to our emergency field hospital, and to our clinics. And so back at headquarters, they found out about that. And one of our, uh, our higher-up guys called a friend who lives in Kentucky and put some gentle pressure is how he worded it on him that his company needed to get involved and his company is a body armor company and so we supplied 1700 pastors well this gentleman supplied through us we took it over there and 1700 pastors were given body armor to wear while they were doing distribution uh to the people who were in need in their community so i want you guys to imagine glenn rolling up to your house in body armor (laughs) the helmet, the whole thing, I mean, everything, you know, and your bag of food (laughs) and your little puck light so you can charge your phone and have lights in your house. That would be pretty awesome, right? Anyway, no, it actually wouldn't be. The the reason for it is not a good thing. Um, But uh, it's just been interesting how God has opened doors and allowed us just to continue to serve and continue to serve. And one really cool thing that has come out of all this is um, out of the generosity of new life. I was here a couple years ago in the fall of 21. And um, I think I put a couple pictures in there of the water. Yeah. So 
these are our community filtration system. That's a water cart. You can see on the left side there, you can kind of see the tow hitch, come, uh, the, the piece coming off of there for the tongue um, that's able to tow. This can be towed behind basically anything that can handle a small hitch. It's not huge weight. It doesn't need any type of special equipment. And this can be towed and set up just about anywhere. Back behind it, if you can see that kind of dark blue, that's a... Uh, bladder that's set up on a stand there. What happens is, is we, we set this uh, community water filtration system up and it can go in any kind of water, fresh water, salt water, brackish water. As long as it's not salt water, if it's fresh or brackish, which brackish is the 50-50. If it's either of those two, we can set this up and it runs entirely on solar. If it's in salt water, we do have to hook up a diesel generator in order to be, be able to run it. Um, so it does need to be resupplied with that. But other than that, you know, it's able to just continually run. And it works through a filtration system. This is all how it's packaged and transported. It's kind of set up and spread out a little bit. But that filtration system then fills that bladder and keeps the bladder constantly filled. Did I put a second photo in there? I can't remember if I did. Is that the only one that I put in there? I think that might be the only one. No? Okay, so let's go back real quick. Whoop. If we can jump back. We're almost there. Hey, there we go. Uh, you can see down in the bottom there uh, towards the front, it, there's a hose coming to a thing. It's kind of metal looking. Uh, what those are is those are kind of uh, little water faucets there. And so what happens is, is we're constantly filling the bladder, but then out of the bottom of the bladder, it leads off and it has multiple on there. You can see that you can have six different people at a time can be filling up water jugs and taking the water that they need. So these systems, we were able to take these and we now have dozens and dozens of them all throughout Ukraine serving community. These, depending on the, there are a few things that change in the size. Some of them only serve, a, will only serve a community up to 10,000. Some will go as much as 20,000 people in a community. It's an unbelievable amount of water that they can, that that thing can continually produce. It's incredible. That's separate from the well things that we do some things with wells and some other things like that. Well, immediately one of the things at the beginning of the war that Russia did was they cut off the water supply. They bombed that and took that out. And so thanks to incredible partners like New Life who had partnered with us six months before this, before any of us knew this was going to happen and said, we want to get behind you guys for some water systems. But it, this is just how God works. It was the fall that that had happened. And so that gift came in and then they started building and they, they bought all the equipment and they started building and all of that was completed a month before everything happened in Ukraine. And water systems that you guys got behind, that you guys funded the building of, were then put on a cargo plane and flown to Ukraine. And there are people in Ukraine that have been able to have water for the last year and a half that wouldn't have otherwise because of generosity that happened right here. It's kind of cool to think about, right? I mean, to think that there are people that are, I mean, we, we take water for granted here, you know, we just, you know, the faucet, you know, open it up and then, hey, there it is, and we've got water all the time. And it was supplied by New Life in Eckley, Colorado. And I just think that's a pretty cool thing um, uh, to be, be very, very proud of. So we've continued to respond there. Like I said, um, we, medical, we started with medical all the way over in uh, Lviv, which is the far uh, western half of the nation. All the fighting was on the eastern and mostly the southeastern section. And we were a long ways away. And so we began slowly moving that closer and closer. We started all the way over there because everybody had fled to that scene. And we thought, well, there would be a lot of injuries, a lot of people traveling, a lot of people dealing with sickness. And we did treat a lot of that. But as time moved on, we 
began moving closer and closer and closer. It got to a point that uh, even internally, they wouldn't tell us where the hospital was. Um, Kenny, who's, uh, Kenny Isaacs who's in charge of that, he stood up one day during devotions, uh, which is broadcast um, all around the world. We've got kind of a back-end channel that we can all watch, Devos. Um, I don't know if you guys know that. I don't know if I've ever told you that. Um, we start every single day with devotions at Samaritan's Purse. Every single day. The first half hour of our day is devoted to our worship time, devotion time, and prayer time. And the, the thought from Franklin, all, all the leadership is devoting the first half an hour uh, means that the other seven and a half are going to be highly productive because we believe God will bless them. And that's just how we function every single day. So during devotions one time, Kenny Isaac stood up and he was telling us about this moving it closer. And he said, I can't tell you where it is. Uh, let's just say it's 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 more than warm, it's almost hot, meaning it's like right on top of where fighting was currently happening and we were treating people. We had continually moved our hospital closer and closer and closer. We got too close. Russia found out and shot a missile at our hospital. <laughs> uh, it landed uh, about 50 yards behind. Fortunately, it missed. It landed about 50 yards behind. Uh, they shot over the top, landed behind, um, caused a little bit of damage to one of the entrances. We had to send over some replacement pieces. Uh, thanks to our incredible security team, they scrambled everybody out of there. They did all their protocols. They got everyone to safety, uh, doctors, nurses, patients, technicians. Everybody got to safety, and it was fine. So the result of that was they said, why don't we split it up so it's not just like one singular target. Maybe a little bit, we can still treat and take care of things, be a little harder for them to find. And so that's what we did. We started running these clinics all along the path of where fighting is happening. And I believe that might be a plan that we might see happen when we're finally cleared to do our medical response in Israel. Uh, along Gaza. Um, I can see us setting up and doing all of these um, small little clinics uh, that we'll be able to treat. And each of those has the ability to do things that the hospital can. You know, we do triage and we, uh, we even set up surgical areas. We do pharmacies. We do all, all those types of things. Because one of the things you forget, even like pharmacies, we forget about that. Um, you know, anyone, I'm sure several of us in this room maybe have some sort of medicine that we regularly take. And if something's going on, at your house, uh, maybe your house is damaged or you have to flee your home for some reason. It's real easy to forget to take that medicine with you and it runs out pretty quickly. And maybe it's not that you were injured in a battle, but it's just the things that you need that keep you healthy and living and going on you forgot at home. And so we even set up things like we set up a pharmacy and we run a full pharmacy out of these clinics um, that uh, allows people to have the resources that they need so that they can continue to stay healthy. So. We continue uh, to do all this um, uh, in Ukraine. I have no idea for how long, but what's been incredible is God's people have risen up and they have just got behind it and they have uh, they have funded all of this need. We have more people that have, uh, have committed to the thing I told you about at the beginning, DART. DART is our, they're our initial, but they also are ongoing. They continue, that's kind of, I get a, a better way actually to say it was they are our international, international team. Anyone can volunteer within the U.S. and serve in lots of ways, whether it's a immediate after a disaster for a response or it's a rebuild or whatever it might be. But going overseas is a little different, and DART is how we use that. And God has supplied more and more team members for DART who have come on. And these are people that, uh, just like anyone in this room, who they have a job that they do, and they have, but they have a skill set that 
can be used in a way that serves the needs of others. And so they sign up and they're part of that team. They go to our website, they do the application, they go through the interview process, and then they're put on this list. And so they get a call. And I'm sorry, what's your name here? Don. So Don, let's just say you're on the list and um, let's just say you're an IT specialist, okay? Um, you might get a call on a Tuesday saying, she just laughed at you. I'm, uh, yeah, I was, that was not, I'm sorry, man. I... <laughs> Uh, I, I could have said surgeon. I should have said, sur you're a surgeon. Okay, you're a surgeon. Here we go. All right, Don's a surgeon. Here we go. So, and Don gets a call on a Tuesday and says, hey, here's the thing. Next Thursday, we need you. We're taking a team. We're going to be gone for two weeks or for three weeks, and we're going to be in Ukraine, or we're going to be in Israel. We're going to be wherever it might be, somewhere international. Will you be able to go? And you just need to let us know by the end of the day. And so you check your schedule. And for some people, Don might go, you know what? My schedule is one that it does have the flexibility. I can be gone for that. And so he would go and, and serve that time. And then he comes back. The really cool thing is it's not just a volunteer position when you're on DART as well. It's a contract position. So Don's family doesn't have to financially do without because he's going and doing this for three weeks. He's contracted and paid as a as a, like a temporary contract employee. And so it's a way that people can get involved. Even those that are saying, you know, I, I can't just stop what I'm doing and volunteer. They can still serve and they can still be involved in what God's doing all throughout the globe. Um, and so Don, the surgeon shows up and helps us out. So that was much better to have a surgeon, right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that's a, so, okay, I got it. <laughs> so what's really cool is we start off, we only had about 1,500 people on that list when the fighting in Ukraine broke out. That number is now approaching 3,500, which is pretty cool because what that means is God has just continued to bring more and more people. Um, at the same time, uh, when, when I started four and a half years ago, they had one field hospital. We now have six. And here's what's cool. We haven't kept any of them when we use them. I take that back. We kept one. We kept one uh, in, uh, in Central Park. They did a disinfect and brought it back, but that's, that's now since been given away. When we go and we serve, we leave the field hospital there, and we give it to the Ministry of Health or whomever it is that's running things in that area, and we trust that it will be replaced. This all got started in the COVID response. When we were doing COVID response and we were in New York City uh, and it was all over the news, uh, there was a gentleman that called from Florida and it was all about a father and son who had seen what we were doing and wanted to know how expensive that field hospital is. And so they managed to work their way up through the phones and they talked to someone in the president's office and they gave him the number. It's a big number. It's two and a half million. It's a huge number. And they said, okay, you know, we need to talk about this. They called back the next day and said, all right, here's the deal. We're both going to buy you one. We're going to buy two of them. <laughs> and so we went from one to two, <laughs> you know, one that we had sent out to now we have two supplied and ready to go. And that has just kind of happened over and over. And so we just feel like the more we respond to these needs and the more we share Jesus, the more God has just kind of backfilled. And we take that as we're just supposed to keep doing more and more to help more and more people so we can tell, tell them about Jesus. That's just kind of the mode that we've been in. It's a very open-handed, let's just serve others mode. Um, that giving away, we just recently did that in Turkey. I don't know if you remember back in January, huge earthquake. They had two of them back-to-back -back in Turkey. Over 3 million people are still homeless there. 3 million. I mean, think about it, What do you do with that? I mean, I don't know how many, how many people. Is Denver 3 million? I don't know if anybody knows that. I mean, 
I mean, the whole, that's like the whole city being homeless. I mean, it's unbelievable, you know? Um, and so we showed up at the main regional hospital there. It had been pancaked and completely collapsed. And so we showed up and we set up a field hospital in their parking lot because people already know where the hospital is. That's why we do it that way. I don't have any photos for this one, Jeremy, sorry. Um, uh, but we're, uh, we started doing medical response there. And when finally they felt like they had enough doctors and nurses that had kind of come back to the region, were ready and able to serve, we handed it to the Ministry of Health and now they're running it and we're doing some other things. We're doing housing things. We're running, uh, we run uh, sanitation trailers where we're able to, we tow them and we move them around and it has, each trailer has 12 units and you go in and you take your clothes off, you stick your clothes in the washer and the dryer and then you're able to get a shower and get yourself cleaned up and then it all gets dried and then you put it all back on and then you can go on about your day because think about when you're homeless, I mean, trying to stay clean and healthy and sanitary is really, really hard. And so we just keep moving these things around. Um, and we were able to find these and, uh, and we had a, a single donation that was enough that's going to run them for one entire year uh, and keep these going. We're also doing some housing things. We did a bunch of tents. We did winterization. Uh, then we did summerization, which was kind of a new word to us, um, which means we needed to come up with a way to cool these down because it's in an area that gets incredibly hot. Uh, and then we found, um, we found a, uh, a company in uh, in Europe that we were able to get them from and get them trucked in that takes old shipping containers and was converting them into homes. So we found another company that would uh, resource all of the interior stuff that was needed, like the um, you know you need furniture and you need uh, you need plates and silverware, you know spoons, all those you know, all that kind of stuff. And so they would supply all of that. And so uh, we were able to resus. I believe it was a thousand families with those, uh, and they're basically a container that has been brought in and becomes a home for a family uh, where their home had collapsed. We set it on their land and they now have something that they can live in. Um, it connects to electricity, connects to water, does all the, all the things that a home would. So it's uh, been very exciting. Um, what I want to tell you about now though is um, the thing that has probably meant more to me uh, than any other thing that we have done uh, Samaritan's Purse since I've been there. They've been doing it since long before I came. Um, and it is the thing that has my heart. It's Operation Heal Our Patriots. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Operation Heal Our Patriots is a week long. We run we run 18 weeks with 10 couples at a time. It is a week long um, marriage enrichment retreat, I guess would be the best title for it. It runs in Alaska through the summer, 18 weeks, 10 couples a week, so 180 couples uh, throughout each summer. It is for injured veterans and their spouses when their marriage is on the brink and not going to make it. And they've been doing this for a lot of years, more than a decade now, and it is incredible. Uh, we have thousands that apply every year. Um, Lord bless those that have to decide who is chosen that is able to come. We cover everything from wherever those people live. We fly them up there. Uh, we get them all to Anchorage and then we put them on a smaller plane. You can see the smaller plane there in the photo. Uh, then we get them over uh, to Lake Clark, uh, to uh, uh, our lodge there in Alaska. Uh, the lodge, we have a main central lodge and then we have several small cabins and they all stay in their own small cabin. Um, uh, each couple does. Each morning we have these marriage enrichment uh, seminars or classes, whatever you'd want to call them. Then the whole idea is we're teaching them. It, we call it the triangle method. It's that whole idea. If you're a long way away from your spouse, the closer you move to God, the closer you're moving to each other. And that's the kind of the concept behind, uh, you know, just kind of a big picture concept behind it. And we teach them how do they restore relationship with each other, 
learn to communicate with each other. But in turn, it's really, how am I, how am I doing with me and God? And we work on that with them for an entire week. So we do that all in the mornings. The entire thing is led by veterans. Uh, that's, who's, um, that's who's teaching everything. That's who's guiding everything. That's who's taking care of everything that's there. It's all veteran-led. And so there's an immediate camaraderie. You know, this is when they're coming off the plane. And these are all, all volunteers and, and other people that are serving. Maybe these might be some staff as well. And they're, they're cheering them when they land. They cheer them coming off the plane. They greet them. About half the weeks, Franklin flies up there and he greets everybody as they're coming in. Um, he spends most of it, actually, he spends most of his summer there. Um, he just loves it. Um, it's his favorite place to be by far. Um, as a matter of fact, I think he and Jane were able to get a small little cabin uh, that they bought that's like two miles from this place so they can just be there. Uh, I think it's kind of his long-term goals. What he really wants to do is just be there uh, and be part of what's happening because he loves it so much. So they do these classes and all these things in the morning. And then in the afternoon, we take them out for Alaska adventures. These are veterans and they're used to, they love that outdoor. They love to do those types of things uh, for most of them. So we take them uh, fly fishing, you know, or whatever it might be. We take them kayaking or bear watching and all of those types of things. And so they enjoy all those adventures. And what's really incredible is to see the changed lives that happen over one week of time. Over and over, couples, we, we have to station someone in Anchorage because couples will come to this and they're in a fight, they're in an argument. A lot of times they will not sit together on the flight coming. They will specifically ask for separate seats from the airline when they get there. <laughs> they want to be apart. They're that angry. They are. A lot of them have already talked to an attorney and divorce papers are being drawn up and they are ready to end it all. They are done. And we station someone there because multiple times we have to convince them to follow through. They will get to Anchorage and for some reason, Satan is just working harder on them at that point and they're like, I'm not going to go. And we have to convince them to give it a try. And they'll come and their lives and eternity are just forever changed. This last summer, we had one that was just like that. Well, we had multiple that were like that. One specific one that was like that that she said, I'm not going, I'm not going, I'm not going. And finally, at the last second, she agreed to go. And it was only because there was a, a, a female veteran who was there who was talking to her. And that female veteran was the one who ended up becoming closest with her, taught her very first. Uh, they, they, did, they do a couple classes where they break them apart. Most of them, they're together where it's the, the couple together. Sometimes it's the husbands go one way, the wives go the other. But this one, um, she was teaching the wives one. And so they kind of really, really connected. It was right at the beginning of the week. And after that, they were eating lunch, and she told one of our staff, a veteran, she said she let her know that what her plan for the week was not only, at first she was like, well, I'm, I'm going to go. Uh, then she said, I don't want to go. But in going, her plan was that not only did she not want to fix her marriage, she planned to commit suicide that week while there at Alaska Lodge. God so worked on her heart that not only did that woman not commit suicide, by the end of the week on the final day, she gave her life to Christ and was baptized in Lake Clark. And you got to be deeply committed to it. Lake Clark is 40 degrees. You got to be deeply committed to get baptized there. <laughs> That's not just an easy, you know, let's do it in the jacuzzi thing, you know. And I just, when I heard that, that was the middle of this summer. I was like, oh my gosh, she was going to end her life. And now she has a new life in Christ. I mean, it's just unbelievable to think about. 
I think I put in there some stats. Did I put that? Yeah, I grabbed a screenshot of this. This came up one day. Um, the 2023 stats and then the total over all the years. 180 uh, couples. Uh, we were completely full. Sometimes we were a little short. We, we have couples that cancel and pull out at the last minute. We can't refill them. But 180 couples, 93 salvations, 105 baptisms, and 98 marriage renewals. So over half of the couples did the marriage renewal, uh, renewing their vows while they were there. Um, it is just such a powerful thing. I know I'm running out of time, but let me tell you about why this matters so much um, and, and kind of how it plays long term. The reason I think this matters so much is because it's not just the couples. Their children have seen mom and dad arguing. They have heard the fights. They have heard the yelling. They have heard the screaming. And they know things are not good at home. And when they, when, when they see their parents come home and their parents are changed and their parents now make a commitment and they stick together and they find out why, it changes the life of those kids. And those kids are now better equipped when they grow up and they're married. They're now better equipped to deal with the challenges that happen in their life. And I just think that's like a generational impact that occurs because of what happens with this one couple. We don't just do a week with them, though. Uh, Don, our surgeon, let's just say Don, our surgeon, went here. Uh, now you're a veteran surgeon, so we're just, I'm sorry, man, I'm, I'm just picking on you big time here. <clears throat> so Don is our veteran surgeon who, um, he goes and, uh, and, and life, it, you know, it, it, it just, it, it's life-changing, life-altering for him. And he comes back and he comes here and he's not just here and now he's completely on his own. First of all, we do make sure that they're connected with a local church in some way, but then they're also assigned to one of our volunteer chaplains throughout the nation. The closest one, probably be going to be someone based out of Denver. And they're going to be responsible to check in on you at least once a month, one-on-one. And you're also going to be part of, uh, have the opportunity to be part of, we have quarterly events that we hold in our regions that you can come to. And we cover all the expenses for all of this. So you come to these quarterly events and you see other alumni of Operation Heal Our Patriots, or OHOP as we call it. Uh, we shorten everything at Samaritan's Purse. <laughs> um, so you'll see other veterans that, who, are, who have gone through this, and there's the encouragement that goes like that. And then once a year, we're going to bring Don, and we're going to bring Don and his spouse. They're going to come, and they're going to come to our annual conference, which used to be held in Dallas. My understanding is now they're moving it to Florida. And we cover, again, all the expenses, and we're going to bring you for a three-day conference where you're going to be encouraged yet again in strengthening your marriage and we are with you for life it doesn't stop because we believe we're making an investment in them and we need to make sure that this continues and happens generation after generation after generation and makes a massive impact I absolutely love OHOP because I just I see the very real like one-to-one impact that that makes so I'm over my time um Yes, Jeremy, am I over my time? I am, I think. Anyway, so, sorry. Um, uh, I'll, I'll just, two minutes real fast for questions, and then we'll, we'll pray and call it here. Anybody got any? How much are the puck lights? I think they're like seven bucks. I don't think they're super bad. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're pretty reasonable. Yeah. PTSD. Yeah, it, this can be physical or, or other traumatic wounds. It can be... We will often have people that it's PTSD, and we, we actually take specific steps for that. We ask them what they're dealing with, and so we, we know some certain things like, you know, um, sounds can set off some PTSD, and so we make sure we do specific things that relate to that. So, yes, it's either or. Yeah. 
All right, I guess I did a good job explaining. Oh, no, I got one more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love that we have that attitude. We'll, anyone and everyone, we want them all to hear about Jesus no matter what. So, and that's, that continues to be our approach. All right, gang. What are, are we good? What do I need to do here? We're good. Okay. All right. Uh, thanks, guys, for uh, letting me just share a little bit. And uh, if you have other questions, you can just find me at any point over here off to the side. I can answer them. No problem. So, all right. Good deal. So, I think 11 minutes, we're going to have church.